0: Welcome to Rogue Bogues. This is episode 17 after a load management week. Pro needed a a day off, so we gave it to him. How are you going, Pro?
1: Yeah, you know, I stepped on the scale. I figured, you know, maybe it was a week I could check myself into a fat camp. Good news is that we have a new sponsor for the fat camp. Bad news is they didn't let me in. They just paid me not to be in there because I was definitely a bad influence on everybody else.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. You're going to have fun with it, I guess. But um, yeah, I I had some some sick kids in the house, so we we decided to take a load management week because it was hard to get them out of the house and it would have been some some hard noises to edit out. So appreciate everyone bearing with us, but we will get rolling, letting it straight into it. The MVP race. So, I've been following this pretty closely. I'm not sure if you have. I mean, we always discuss that the NBA is a soap opera at the best of times. They love these kind of things. But one thing I've found interesting, I think Nikola Jokic just isn't getting enough love. Hear my argument out. I don't think he's an Instagram guy. He's not a clout guy. He's not a guy that's promoting himself and and promoting different causes outside of basketball. He just kind of shows up, plays hard, puts up mind-boggling numbers. Um, He's having a, a phenomenal... One of a kind type year, and he just doesn't get that notoriety. You, you tune into the jump, you tune into different shows, and and he just doesn't get the, I guess, notoriety of a LeBron James, a Joel Embiid, a Giannis, a Steph Curry, and it's it's been interesting to follow. But we'll go through some numbers soon. But I mean, how do you uh, how do you see that with with um, Jokic?
1: Yeah, I think that. His game just isn't really. Look, the the NBA is trying to promote offense. They're trying to promote like athleticism. They're trying to promote high paced, fast paced, in your face basketball like that. And his game, uh, for a basketball like purist who just loves the game, I mean, he's unbelievable to watch. But to like the average fan that wants just the athleticism, they see a LeBron Or they see Greek Freak or they see players like that, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like they want, I think they want more of that style of basketball. Maybe even like a Luka who just like makes all these unbelievable shots and puts up these huge numbers, but like has flair to him and charisma to him. Jokic is sort of just, he just gets the job done, but it's sort of like in a different way than those guys do. He just, you know, he scores anytime he's in the post. He face up shot. He's not really an athlete like that so i can see like the nba saying wait a minute like i'd rather put you know i'd rather put my all our eggs in this other basket rather than promoting him and you know just because it's just not what we're really promoting we're promoting this fast paced basketball and even though he's putting up these ridiculous numbers like these other guys were going to probably, you know, praying for a Joel Embiid to to just keep rolling or LeBron to come back, you know, even in Anthony Davis or someone like that. But, yeah, it's interesting.
0: I mean, I have it down to, I mean, I have Jokic clear number one. Like I I, I put a tweet out a while ago about if Embiid, you know, if they get the number one seed, is he the MVP? Or just to see what people thought. But I, I think Jokic is clear number one. I think the next bracket after that, is Embiid, um, Giannis, and Steph. I think LeBron's missed too many games, and I think Embiid's missed too many games. I think if Embiid hadn't missed games, I think he's. I think I'd, I'd be comfortable putting him as a as a real legitimate MVP candidate to Jokic right now. Um, actually, taking that mantle, but I mean Jokic has missed nineteen games, and Jokic hasn't. I don't think he's missed any games. I think he's missed one or two games. Barely. No, he hasn't. He has missed a game. Um, his numbers. He's leading the league in per. Um, he's at twenty six point three. Points a game, 10.9 rebounds, 8.7 assists. They're just mind-boggling numbers. But what's even crazier with those numbers is he's shooting 56% from the field, 40% from the three, and 85 from the line. When you look at the other guys, I mean, the percentages are a little bit different. You know, Embiid's got a bit of a drop-off on three-point percentage compared to him and then obviously not even close on the assists. But I, I just – it's just to me, like you said, I, I think it's he's not a 60-candidate. He's an overseas candidate. I think there's a bit of bias there. He's in a, he's in a really, you know, a small market in Denver and it's just not sexy to watch. But I think for the average fan, to me, if I'm the average fan, I like watching Jokic more, not even from a purist point of view, just from the point of view of like, you know, besides being seven foot, his body type is like my friend that I go drinking with at the pub. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I can relate much more to that than relating to a Giannis or an Embiid who are just athletic freaks that um, probably haven't had to hone their skill as much as a guy like Jogic. So, it's just an interesting one. I think, um, yeah, I think he gets no love because he's not that he's not that guy off the court. He just shows up and plays basketball. I think, I think he has a ranch out in Serbia, my friend told me, with some horses. He's that kind of guy. Like, he just doesn't – he's not into that Hollywood LA bullshit and I respect him for that and I, I don't think it's close. Unless Embiid, I think he's the only candidate, in my opinion, I think unless he averages 40 and 20 these next 20 games and they walk up that number one seed he maybe has an argument to compete but as of today I, I don't think it's close
1: yeah i don't really get him much with the mvp races and things but like if we're just talking about the subject i think he's clearly the best player in the league this year and you know and missed about 30 percent of his games and, and that's the thing like you know should there be a cutoff at some point where they, they say all right. Yeah. Cause everybody loves arguing and talking about this MVP race, but just to put it to bed, do you have to play a certain amount of games to be eligible? Cause I mean, look, what Embiid's doing is pretty special too. Like, you know, if you look at his numbers and, you know, what he's doing, and, and I understand why people would get behind him a little bit, like 30, 11 and three shooting 37, five from the three. Um, I mean, he, he is ridiculous to watch, especially if you pay attention to him, but, um, I, I agree. I think Jokic, you know, he gets it done every night. He he makes that team, you know, and he's clearly the best player on that team. And he makes that team sort of a contender every night to to win games and overachieve. And because they don't really have a superstar except him on the team and with his passing ability. And plus he's a post player, Bogues. And let's be honest, they're not, you know, Embiid's got some flash to him. So they get they don't mind promoting that, but they're not really trying to promote, you know, lunch pail guys to get the ball on the block and and sort of like bury it down there they want again I think they want more perimeter oriented players that do you know more sexy things on the perimeter than and get to the rim and things like that rather than a you know his game but yeah I agree with you I've got him clearly the number one number one for MVP. It'll
0: be good to see how it all goes because there's a big media push to not have him win so we'll see how that goes coach of the year I know you love awards so we're just going to continue on with this theme <laughs> Who do you have in your coach of the year top three? And give me who your number one is, if you had to call it today.
1: To me, I I love Thibodeau. I I think Tibbs is, you know, I I think he clearly, and when you define coach of the year to me, I think that that's, you know, you need to be able to elevate. And not a lot of coaches could elevate their team. Mostly they're just sort of, they're held hostage of how much talent you got on your team. And, And I think that Tibbs definitely upgraded you know, I think it's him. I would probably, um, I'd probably go Utah, and I'd go Doc Rivers in the third, uh, probably third. What, what do you have? I just beca- I think Tibbs is the best, just because no one expected much of the Knicks, and he's sort of you know they get him in contention. I think they're top four. You know, um, I, I think that that's where I, I I sort of put it. Where do you lie with this, folks?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm torn on Thibs and, and Snyder just because I, I think that um, Utah has had a phenomenal year and we can't take away from what they've done. And Thibs, like you said, I mean, a lot of us didn't really have them, even in the playoff mix at the start of the season. I would I would almost do a joint co- coach of the year. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if they do that, if they have done it, but I think Thibs and and and, and Snyder at um, Utah are both so deserving that it's it's kind of hard to split the atom because Utah, unbelievable home record, only lost a handful of games at home. Um, they should be the number one seed. They've had some injuries. They've had to deal with lineup changes, guys in COVID. They've, they've dealt with the same stuff everyone else has, and he's adapted along the way. And Thibs is just an amazing story. I like Philly's story as well, but I think um, if they can do a joint coach of the year, I would be all for it for Thibs and and um, Snyder. From there, most improved player. I mean, the only two candidates I have, I have um, I have Randall with the Knicks and Grant with the Pistons. In my opinion, I, I think Randall's a lock. I mean, he's not only most improved player, he's he's almost, you know, he's fringe MVP. You know, I don't think he's the MVP when you look at these other guys' numbers, but he's in that mix of the top 10, top 15 MVP um candidates, um but he'll in my opinion be the clear most improved and second I'd give it to to, to Jeremy Grant out in um Detroit.
1: Yeah, I I'm, I'm with you on that and and again, we hate to agree with each other so much, but like I think what Randall's done and Randall, I think there are two types of players, especially that you know the ones that really put up stats there there's the players in the league that could put up numbers, and there are players in the league that win games and help you win games. And Randall, to this point, in my opinion, wasn't a winning player. wasn't a player that elevated a team's play and and I think he weren't he sort of you know he took his bumps the last few years in the league. And now with Tibbs, a bunch of young kids who fight, you know, and he's sort of elevating the the Knicks to a again a top four seed in the East. Where I love Grant, you know, I think Grant's come along. Where you know from college he was just a decent player, you know, at Syracuse goes to uh, I think Philly and then Oklahoma City was decent. Gets to Denver, sort of, you know. You know, works with my guy, John Townsend, shooting coach, and sort of gets his jumper right. And now he's sort of elevated his game, puts up stats. Detroit's one of the worst teams in the league, but I don't take that away from him. You know, right now he's got to figure out how to win. But I, I think Randall is by far the best, you know, the best story, I think, with his, you know, improvement based on his ability to, to sort of learn how to win. Oh, yeah, I played for the Lakers, too. I forgot. But, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think it's Randall. I, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, just a testament to, 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 to Julius. I played with him in LA. He was a great teammate, no issue with him. And he had a bad rap for some reason, but I, I don't know where that came from. Um, he dealt with some injuries early in his career and he was finding himself too. Like he was a, a really high prospect at high school, in college, um, came to the NBA with a big pedigree and was trying to find himself and figure things out. And, and I think that frustrated him a little bit. And then that was perceived as, you know, he's a bad dude. And I never had a feel that he was a bad dude. He was quiet in the locker room. He put his work in. So I couldn't be happier. And I think it's a testament to he stuck out the grind of, of hearing all those knockers and he's finally in a situation with Thibs that has given him the keys to a team and they're rolling. I mean, they, they go as far as Randall takes them. So it's sensational to see. Next one, um, the sixth man of the year was an interesting one. I've dug into this and I really have no other candidates besides two teammates in Joe Ingles and, and Jordan Clarkson now criteria I haven't researched too much but there's a certain number of games you have to come off the bench they've both been integral bench guys for him Joe now moves into the starting lineup with a Donovan Mitchell injury Clarkson was the front runner in my opinion then Joe went to the bench and has started bowling so I think it's two teammates competing for it funnily enough do you have any other candidates for the sixth man
1: I think the only guy that I could throw in there is Jalen Brunson from Dallas just because like he's done so well this year for them he's had a start a few games but he's mostly off the bench in that second unit I think he's sort of starting in the last, you know, the last few weeks, he's started a few games. And I just love his toughness. I think he's he he really, you know, he's a winner from day one. He's been good there. He's been elevating his minutes and his time, you know, since he's gotten the league. I don't think he's in the the neighborhood of those two yet, but I think he's a guy that that I would probably put as a a distant third. But somebody that you'll be reading about, I think he'll be. If he ever leaves Dallas for one reason or another, or they get rid of some guys, I think he could definitely be a starter in the league. But I think he's been he's been a very solid, stable presence off the bench as a six man role for them.
0: And I believe his father played in the NBL. I'll be wrong, but I believe he played in the NBL many years ago. His
1: dad did. His his dad did. He his dad's a Boston guy and um, played at Temple and didn't make the NBA initially and played in the played in Australia. And then um, represented by Leon Rose. And then he ends up being in the NBA for about 12, 13 years as a backup.
0: He was with the Clippers for a number of years, wasn't he?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been literally like almost every, you know, he's probably eight to 10 teams that he's played with. I mean, and he produced almost everywhere he's been. He's definitely like, uh, didn't have the accolades, you know, that his son had as far as like, winning national championships and sort of being that winner winner i mean he, he was a very good player at temple mcdonald's all-american but um you know jalen's just been you know i worked with him one year in dallas or at least i saw watch guys work with him and was around him and uh he, he's a good player he, he's going to be a, a a solid 12 to 15 year pro that like any team that wants to elevate their locker room and elevate their team would definitely take he's going to be a, a a pretty good free agent, probably making ten, twelve million a year in free agency when his time's up in Dallas.
0: Yeah, and his, his father, Rick, played for the LA thirty sixers. I just looked it up for one season. So bit of a, a strange connection there. Defensive player of the year, I've got um the standard ones. I mean, Rudy Gobert and Ben Simmons come to mind. I mean, Ben Simmons is having a a phenomenal year defensively with everything that he's doing. He has had some injuries of late you know, out of the lineup. And then Gobert's leading one of the best defensive teams in the league. So, I think we're at a coin flip. I actually think that people probably will steer away from Gobert just because of the, the big man stigma and it's gotten a bit tired. You know, he's big. He should be a good defender. He's, he's long. Where I think they might give that to Ben Simmons and Ben's... You know, making his case through clutch sports and through the media that he should be the guy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that how that finishes. You got anyone else in that running?
1: Not really, like not really. I think those two are sort of. When people say defense, they probably say like Greek Freak or Kawhi, but I, I think that those two guys are sort of well off. Uh, you know, uh, anyone else would be a very distant third. I like Gorbert, you know, uh, I know, I know people aren't high on him. Ben does, did a good job, you know, does a great job defensively as well. Gourbert just sort of swallows you up though, like rim protecting, rebounding, you know, doing something, you know, good in pick and roll coverages and He's just sort of tough to score on, man. I think they're both. I, I think it's a coin flip. Yeah, you know, I'd probably say Rudy, but yeah, you know, it's a coin flip between those Bear's two guys. actually
0: done a better job in the. They've, they've done some one through fiving with him at times, and it look doesn't look great when he's guarding. He's guarding a ball handler that's trying to you know cross, 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 step back or whatever they're trying to do these days. It uh, doesn't look good when he's moving yeah. his feet and sliding. Looks like he's going to fall over, but um, he's so long and big that. It actually it actually has given him good results at times. They don't go to it a lot, but there is some times late in quarters and late in games I've noticed they've gone one through five switch with ball screen hands up on a you know, a point guard or a shooting guard and he's he's actually, you know, made them made them take tough shots and if they make him you kind of um shake their hand and go on to the next position.
1: Yeah, he definitely looks like me in a fucking spin class trying to you know, trying to come up on that switch. But I agree. I, he's he definitely has results on it. He's He's a good player. I think they're both good. You know, They're both high-level defenders. If you pick one, then I don't think anybody should be upset. If you pick one over the other, I think it's real close. Mm, agree.
0: Okay, so... Touching on from Jokic and the, now going to the Denver Nuggets, Jamal Murray has done his ACL a couple of uh, now a week or so ago. Horrible for, for Denver, horrible for Jamal Murray, a long rehab ahead of him. Does this change Denver's season? I mean, it's he's their, He's probably their perimeter go-to, get us a bucket guy. He's hot and cold at times, but we all know during the playoffs and the finals, potentially, if you don't have one of those perimeter guys, um, you're not going to get very far and I think Denver's in some in some big trouble. And and yesterday as well, uh, Will Barton looks like he's tore his hamstring pretty badly um, the way he went down in the first minute of that game against Golden State. So but the Jamal Murray one to me is a huge, huge out. It puts so much more pressure on on um on Jokic. And you can almost now, you know, treat Jokic as like we discussed in the past, where hey We're going to let you drop 40. Let's stop the back cuts and the feet set threes and him getting 10, 15 assists. You score 40 and and we'll shake your hand if you beat us that way. And I think that's what teams are going to look to do.
1: And both those fucking guys are on my fantasy team. Do you believe that shit? I mean, seriously, (laughs) am I the most unlucky fucking asshole on the the planet? I haven't really sworn much. So my average is dropped per minute but now I'm gonna fucking make up for it. Am I the most unluckiest motherfucker on the planet, folks? And everybody around me fucking just suffers, seriously.
0: You should have like some sort of website where it's like the opposite, you know, just bit opposite and, and become a billionaire.
1: I'm just gonna fucking blackmail agents say, motherfucker, you pay me, or I'm taking your whole fucking roster on my fucking roster and see what happens. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, t- it's gonna be tough for those guys. Like, Jokic, what Jokic does to me, in my opinion, and it, you know, it, it he makes, I don't like saying makes people better because I think it's a bullshit statement. But what he does is offer of double teams. He, he can pass it to you where you don't have to work for a shot. It's sort of like a Jason kid in the post where he knows where and when to give it to any one of his teammates you know where you don't have to be an isolation guy to, to be good in that system you could spot up you could be a cutter you could be a straight line driver you know when he posts up on a low block or catches on the elbow and then he's going to force a double team and if and when that comes he'll be able to spot guys I think that they're still good enough probably maybe to win a round but I mean it depends what they play if they play the Lakers and they get those guys it's going to be tough for them but in the playoffs, if you don't have that second guy that could score, and I know Jamal hasn't been really consistent for them. I know he put up 21 a game, but he's very hot, cold. Porter's been playing well. Now having Gordon in that trade really makes them look good. The problem is now if you if you miss Spartan, now P.J. Dozier and Compazzo, like those guys are going to have to step up. And that's like when, when you talk in a development situation where you're telling bench guys, you got to stay ready because you never know. You always got to factor in some type of an injury is going to happen, God forbid, you know, where people are going to miss some games. Now, not this many with Murray, but like, you know, you're going to have to step up. And this is where you're going to see if you're really worth that money in free agency, like a P.J. Dozier or, you know, Compazzo, how much real value you have for that team. And um, it'll be interesting. I think they can get away with winning a round depending on who the matchup's going to be. But I, I don't I don't see them really going too much further than that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that I have to be – the stars would have to align for for me for, to even get them out of the first round right now with the way the seating looks. Um, they Plus, they got to still battle to keep that seating, which will be interesting in itself. They looked horrible yesterday um, against the Golden State Warriors, so we'll watch that closely. LaMarcus Aldridge, an abrupt retirement, very, very sad story. Obviously, it um, was released by the San Antonio Spurs a number of weeks ago. There was some, some rumors he might sign with Miami, ended up You know, kind of not really fooling anyone but going to Brooklyn Brooklyn, and um, I think played a game um, and then they found a a regular heartbeat um, during the loss to the Los Angeles Lakers on Saturday, April 10th and and he basically retired the next day. So, probably got some pretty – a pretty scathing observation by a doctor basically saying, look – you're at risk every time you go out there now and kudos to him where he said you know what I'm done then and and he's had a, a pretty long and, and decent career and made a lot of money and obviously hasn't had a championship or anything like that but you never want to see you know players forced retirement due to health reasons and um, you know we feel for him and hope that you know the afterlife from basketball goes well but definitely not a not a good story for LaMarcus Pro
1: No I met him in high school um uh, I talked on the show a couple of times about the Michael Jordan flight school so MJ has this. He used to have this kids camp at University of uh, California Santa Barbara, and um, he would just have all these kids, you know, fifteen hundred, you no, know, seven hundred and fifty kids, two sessions, and he would invite these big time college players that would be draft, you know, first round, second round picks, uh, and as well as like five or six high school kids to be counselors at his camp. And I met him and started working with him a little bit when when, when he was a counselor. Great kid, always worked hard, always was. A high-level offensive player and like you said you never want to see people go out like this but you know being around Boston and, and dealing with you know Reggie Lewis and dealing with you know Len Bias people who like died now Wend Bias is different because it was a drug thing but they you know with with Reggie Lewis with you know was an all-star player that you know that died of a, a heart attack you never want to, when right? it comes to the hot,
0: he dropped on the court. Yeah. He didn't? was
1: working out. I remember where I was actually uh, listening to it on the radio. He was working out at a um, Brandeis, you know, Brandeis college. It was a school that they used for a practice site and um, he was just working out and playing. And then he just, you know, he passed out earlier that year in the playoffs against Charlotte and he, he shut it down for the playoffs. They, they, did all these tests. They thought he was, you know, sort of coming back a few months later and, you know, he was just working out and he, and, and he, you know, just went in a cardiac arrest and passed away. You never want to fuck around with that. Like Chris Bosch, like you never want to fuck around with stuff like that, man. I, you know, you never want to see it where they have to retire like that. But with a family guy and, and, and you're getting up there in age, just. He made plenty of money. He's done plenty of good things, you know, in his time in his career, not only on the court but off the court. Don't even mess with it. I, you know, I, I salute the guy. He's a he's a great kid. You know, had a great career. Just it just you, you never want to risk it with that stuff.
0: Yeah, and the positive is that he 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 managed to get to double digit years and have a illustrious career and made a lot of money. But you never want someone else or something else to end your career. So wish him all the best. Next one we are going on to there's something interesting happening um, with another rival league now we had the i don't know if you followed the soccer but that happened um last week <laughs> with the super league that ended up getting squashed with a bunch of high-end clubs from the premier league and whatnot wanted to to, to go into this
1: folks uh, what was the big thing with that now is it just a money thing and people were pissed like i'm not a soccer guy so i don't really understand i, I sort of understood it but not like what was the big deal what, what, just because it was a the history of the league and everybody wants to stay in that league or was yeah, it? Yeah,
0: look, there was there was a thread that I retweeted. And I tweet a lot like an idiot, so you have to kind of scroll down a little bit. But there was a guy that did a thread on it and broke it down in layman's terms and compared it to, to what would happen with an NBA team. But basically, there was a bunch of, I think they're elite clubs from three or four leagues. So your Manchester United and your Arsenals are gonna form like this breakaway super league where, you know, I guess their argument was that they they have the most fans and make the most money and they're funding these lower teams. You know, let's equate the Lakers are saying it's not fair that we're funding them, you know, the Detroit Pistons or whatever, and they had this agreement to do it all and to, to play it'd be a midweek competition. And I guess fans had found out about it. From the actual clubs and started protesting like crazy, saying we won't support this. This is bullshit. It's not good for the English Premier League. It's not good for our respective leagues. It's selfish. It's all about money. We don't agree with it. And then it got squashed based on that. Like fans are just really threatening boycotts and whatnot. And once the bad PR came, you know, I think one or two clubs early on in that campaign were like, oh, we're out. We're not going to do it anymore. And then everyone followed suit. So from the space of a week it was like announced that it was going to happen and then within 3 or 4 days the shit was gone and it was it was massive news so i guess this one is called what's it called? Overtime, Overtime Elite, OTE. They are a a short form video content company called Overtime. So, they announced they're launching a professional basketball league that will compensate high school age players in hopes of funneling talent away from playing both, not just college, but high school as well. So, you're, I think it's your senior year, like, so so here we go, yeah, 16 to 18 years old. You can then go and play in this league and earn up to six figures to to, to play in this league. Now, there's a few caveats that are interesting. Um, It'll consist of up to a Total of 30 players from across the world. So I'm not sure how how many teams they'll have. It'll just be played. It will be based and operated out of one city. So I assume they're going to sign a a deal with with TV or one of these streaming services we always always talk about. But it is a unique opportunity. Uh, Apparently, $100,000 guaranteed for the season um, coming out of high school. So for a high schooler, that's a lot of money. You can actually have. A pretty decent life of that amount of money for a professional athlete, you know, and, and then getting down the track to, to maybe playing in the NBA or Europe, full healthcare benefits. Um, so, that they're looking after him and it is backed by, you know, some some pretty pretty big basketball players. I mean, um, who have we got here? So, Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton obviously played overseas, but they, they've looked at this as keeping guys on home soil um, and backed by… Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Durant, you know, numerous other players uh, and some big investment funds. Do you see this being a big pathway to lead top-tier talent away from, um, from college?
1: Here's the issue, Bogues, that they're going to face. First of all, I don't know the exact number, but the G League elite team, uh, the Ignite, I believe they're called, they take some of the top high school players in the country to play for them. And I think what they get upwards of... Almost $500,000 to play for that team. Yeah,
0: but you have to, you have to be out of high school, don't you? Isn't that, isn't that the caveat? So, like, don't you have to be one year old?
1: Yeah, of- you gonna have to be done with high school. Correct. Yeah. So, we're talking about the 16 to 18 year older, the guy that's still in high school, and they're gonna go there instead of a high school. Now, I, I think that they're gonna, it, it'll be a decent situation because of the fact that you're making a hundred grand plus. They're going to give you stock options and their bigger companies, small, small amount of stock options. They're going to give you a hundred grand towards college. Now, I don't know if the hundred grand is if you stop playing and you want to go to college, which who the fuck would want to do that? If you're, you know, if you're going to take this money, like you're going to probably play overseas somewhere. So I don't know if that hundred grand follows you for the rest of your life to go to college whenever you want and uphold that. The problem that I would have, and this is where... It comes in, like, the infrastructure of the league. Like, what type of coaches are you going to have? What type of medical staff? What type of development are they going to have? What type of off-the-court skills are they going to have? And, like, I think everybody's going to be a little bit of excited to watch these guys play. But, like, I think it going to be something where people are going to have their eyes glued to it. You know, like with the D League, with the G League. Like, the G League had the bubble. And I think people are excited to watch, like, some of the top kids that that entered the Ignite team but like, I can't see people being excited about watching the G League all year. You know, it's just not something that people really like watching. They'll get sick of it after a little bit. The question is now for a 16 year old kid, making 100 plus, you know, worse comes to worse, like if that league and I think the funding in that league is very solid. So like, I think they'll probably have at least two, two or three years of it and to see where they're going to go with it. It's going to cost them tens of millions of dollars to keep this thing afloat. But like, even if it does fold and I'm 16 years old and say I'm a sophomore in high school and it folds by the time I'm, you know, before my senior year say I I could always go to Australia. I could always go to a lower level. If I can't get in Australia, I could always go to a lower level, you know, a lower level situation. But but by then, probably the next couple of years, you know, the the NBA is going to start drafting high school kids anyway. So I think if, if this thing could carry on for a couple more years, and a sort of a segue into the NBA taking high school kids, but they, they could still get the younger kids. It's a hundred thousand plus. You know, there's so much money to be made off the floor that I think it would be a pretty good situation. I just think if I'm that league, I'm investing heavily into a infrastructure of coaches, people who could talk to these kids, train these kids, not only on the court, but off the court. And develop these kids because it's, if you're just going to throw them into a city and just have them play pickup where it's just like (laughs) a, you know, glorified fucking shit show, it's not going to be good. You know, it's not going to be good. I don't give a fuck who's behind it.
0: They're stating they're also going to do a high school curriculum for the kids that are, you know- 10, 11, 12th grade that have left early, which will be financial literacy, media training, and social justice advocacy. So they're going to do that. They have the 100K. That's the base. Then apparently there's a bunch of bonuses, um, as far as, you know, hitting certain stats or, or whatever you're doing. And then I mentioned 30 total players from across the world. So they'll play not only against each other, apparently, they'll also play against American prep schools and, in, and, and go to other countries. So that's a lot of money right there. I'm interested to see the, um, contractual agreements they have with these players. I have a hunch that they will probably have a percentage that where they own the players' um, image rights, I would assume. Um, this smells very much like what European soccer agents and basketball agents would do back in the day. You know, they'd find these young, talented kids at 12 or 13 years old. They'd bring you into a Barcelona or a Real Real Madrid, I'm I'm making this up, whoever, or even a smaller club. They'd pay for your shoes. They'd give you a bit of cash to walk around with. You're still living at home with your parents. They'd take care of you a little bit to an extent, but you've basically signed your life away to them the minute you become professional. So, they basically are investing in in someone they think is going to be good. Now, the flip side is... You could not pan out as a, as a as a very good player, and they just eat that loss. But the other side is that if you do, they own they own your rights. So I assume there'll be something in there that says that if you make the NBA, we we, we get a cut of of blah 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 for five or ten years. Because as you said, this this thing's going to cost a lot of money to fund, and we all know people aren't funding things to lose money. So how do they recoup that money? It can't be as simple as oh, we have TV rights with. Um, you know, whoever it is, Netflix or whatever, like you said, who's really going to sit down and watch all that when you can watch NBA basketball, you can watch Euro League, you can watch college. This is a, a relatively brand new thing that I don't think people are going to be heating up the popcorn every Friday night to watch. So I'm interested to see those those fine the fine print of these contracts to see how they how they're going to recoup that money.
1: I'll tell you what, they'd be completely fucking stupid if they did that, and it would be opening themselves up for a lot of ridicule if they did that with kids, because right now the big fight, and and they say they're not competing with the NCAA, but their big fight is that they're making money, NCAA is making money off the backs of these kids, right? And then that's the big thing, and that's the big fucking story, even though it's not really all that much.
0: Yeah, they mentioned that in the article.
1: And if I'm a kid, first of all, let's be honest, if you're a top 20 top 30 player you're getting money from an agent probably by the time you're a freshman at high school anyway let's fucking be honest right so like you think a fucking agent who has so much to lose in trying to maximize every penny that they're fucking illegally paying these kids throughout their four years you (laughs) think that they're gonna fucking want some other league to get a cut of what they're fucking getting i mean come on it's like you know it's like the fucking legion of doom like there's no way like i i don't think now don't get me wrong I think that they could recoup their money doing other things. Like, like yeah, over time, if you watch, like, I, I started following them on, on Twitter, on Twitter and things. Like, they have, like, they're big in the media, getting clips of kids. I could see them getting into that, um, that thing the NBA has. What, what is that called? The, um, where they, they have the, like, online basketball card where the uh, fucking people shot. are getting yeah, hundreds. Yes, top shot. Of, yeah, like, I could see them trying to do something like that, trying to recoup their money any way possible like that, probably trying to sell TV rights. I just can't see them. I got maybe, like, it made sense for a few seconds when you were talking about, like, buyout, like, maybe not percentage of their money, but a buyout, like a Euro club where... You know, a lot of these European kids, like Paige Stoyakovich and those guys, when they got drafted, they had to pay hundreds of thousands, if not a million, millions of dollars. Like Yao Ming had to pay millions of dollars, you know, out of his money, you know, back to China or their clubs in China to get, you know, for the ability to play in the United States. I thought about that, but since there's like everybody's so against the NCAA that I can't see them getting away with it. But like you said, that you know, they're putting all this money into the league. How are you going to recoup the money? You got to find ways. I just don't see the agent that's behind these kids. Cause of of course, if they sign with this league, they're a pro. So they're going to have the agent. The agent doesn't have to fucking hide for three years. They can finally say, fuck it. You know, I can show my face. Now I'm, I'm, I'm with this kid. I just can't see the agent sat on that shit away from the kid.
0: I don't think it'll be as cut as dry and dry as that. I agree with you. I don't think it'll be as far as like we own your rights. If you want to go play anywhere, you owe you owe us a buyout. But you hit on the head. It could be in the form of the top shot. It could be in the form of like, hey, we own your image rights for any online highlights or whatever it is, right? And now Yeah. That's that's what I wanna what I wanna know. There has to be some sort yeah. of some sort of agreement where they're recruiting some of this money and Look, it's it's not a bad thing if you're if you're fronting a couple hundred thousand dollars a player, hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you're saying, look, we're just going to own your image rights for your, you know, you get ten percent of it, we own the rest for your NBA top shot equivalent, whatever that is. I mean, it's still not a bad deal it, in the be all and end all, right? And it's you're 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 you know, not all those high school kids could pan out to be pros, so there's still some risk there, but there has to be something going on that we don't know about in those. And I don't think it's illegal, you know. I
1: did read somewhere where they want to con- they want the kid to control their brand. You know, it, so I don't know. I have no idea, Bogues. I haven't, I don't know anyone affiliated with the league. I emailed them a couple of times just to try to get some dialogue. Haven't gotten anything, but um, I don't know. It's, it, it'll be interesting. Yeah. And let was. me ask you this. Yep. You're 16 years old, Bogues. Do you play?
0: I mean, what, what, I, what I know now, I wouldn't know. I mean, the journey that I took was, was, was great. It worked out real well for me. But as far as the NCAA, that, that, like we're spoken about it at length. They're in some trouble. They, they, they need to fix their image rights issue where, where where players can't, you know, sell their, their their brand or themselves or their face and they need to, you know, step up to the plate as far as looking after those athletes a little bit better because now there's there's just going to be so many more platforms they can go to. Um, but as far as yeah. dropping out of high school, I wouldn't recommend dropping out of high school period. Um, I tried to at one at one, one point and thankfully a coach told me, no, you you finish in high school like, you know, you not you're finishing high school and then you can reassess what you want to do. So the most important thing is to finish your high school degree regardless of, of what you want to be in life because I think that's something you don't want to you don't want to have you, And we do know people that have been successful without a high school degree, but I think you're putting yourself behind the eight ball without finishing high school.
1: Yeah, the NCAA really needs to step up, I think. And I know that these guys have been before high school, but the NCAA has to just like sort of let it go with this imaging rights. First of all, there's only about not even 10% of the athletes will make any type of money really, you know, in the NCAA across every sport, with this likeness thing that they care about alabama football kentucky basketball north carolina you know they'll, they'll care about some players sprinkled across the country that are really good in this sport but like the big thing with basket the big thing with college sports to me is the brand the school has their fan bases are way better than nba teams and professional teams because mostly the nba fans now are following players these people bleed for their school like I think it's a good opportunity for kids to go to college for that, for those relationships they're going to make, even if, you know, most of these kids aren't going to be professional like big time pros anyway, but I think it's not perfect, the college model, but they've built up this media brand, this like all these fans, the people who support the school that graduate and go to other states, like there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in in some of these fan bases that you can go to. And I think it's a good thing. But a league like this is interesting. Like I said, if they could have infrastructure, but if a kid's going to like drop out of school to get there, they're going to have to be very strict with the curriculum of we got to teach you life skills. We got to teach you... The mandatory things that we have to teach because if you're just going to care about their basketball, their likeness, and doing some fucking nine-second highlight fucking tape that you're going to try to make viral, and you're not really caring about the kid's education, the kid's development as a human being as well as a basketball player, then you're fucking worse than – then you're just as bad as some of these other people that are in this thing.
0: No doubt. And that's what I'm interested to watch. I'm interested to watch the fine details of this league and then the support staff, the – you know, the skills coaches, the individual coaches, the physiotherapist, a guy does his knee, then what? You know, they're going to cover their health Health, health fund, and all that kind of stuff, but you still want good people rehabbing a potential, you know, first round pick. You don't just want a health fund to cover it. and y- You're seeing Joe Schmo, the physio, around the corner who just works with 60 year old people. So there's a lot of different things and a lot of fine print with these leagues that people don't realise. It seems like they have the investors and the funds to do it. It's going to be good for guys like us to just sit back and watch how it goes because it'll be. I think it'll be interesting to to shake things up and and I, I bet you know the NBL here in Australia is probably looking at that league like oh shit. Like this is taken away that next star program that has done so well for them the last three years. So um, we'll be interesting to watch. We segue that onto NBA ratings again. Um, Ethan Sherwood Strauss at the Athletic has penned another scribe. He gets in a lot of trouble for these pro for um, putting out articles that have facts about the ratings and not um, cheerleading type articles. So this one is much of the same. The ratings are down yet again. Pro, they um, they are are not looking good, and we've, we've spoken about it. It's probably not going to affect. Their TV money in the future because of streaming. They're in the perfect time in, in human history for for being a program on TV that's losing viewership because you've got so many competitors in Netflix and all these streaming services, Hulu sports and whatnot. But there are some pretty eye boggling things happening. So the NBA has lost viewership. It is, you know, their TNT double header not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, averaged Amiga 724,000 viewers. That is crazy low. And get this, pro, it was lower than the AEW. Do you know what the AEW is?
1: I know AEW, Root Bear, but I don't <laughs> know AEW.
0: AEW is pro wrestling's distant number two brand. That would be why you don't know it. <laughs> so you know, you, you look at that, the ESPN games are even lower. We can factor in the pandemic. We can factor in fans not showing up. We can factor in just so many different vices at home when people are stuck with their kids. But what's funny about this is there's there's a big spend from the NBA and its partners, the ESPN and whatnot. Whenever a ratings survey comes out or an article comes out, there was one just the, under a month ago that ratings are up, and they're clearly not when you look at the numbers. And they'll, they'll skew it with things like comparing a 2020 2021 time frame with um, games against, you know, a Christmas Day game sweepstakes against 2019-20 time frame in which the Christmas Day games had yet to occur. Just, just things like that, different periods, they're, they're comparing an era from, you know, 2015 to 2020, you know, they're trying to skew um, sentiment. When when you look at the numbers point blank on a sheet of paper, it's quite clear that they are, they are dropping. And you compare it to um, to other sports such as, you know, and here it's this in the article, which I think was pretty balanced. You know, the Masters have dropped a little bit as well but not nowhere near what the NBA has. And the argument is the Masters golf hasn't really been affected by the pandemic, looks the same on TV as far as crowds go. It doesn't really change too much as far as a viewer, but it is their, their lowest viewing audience since 1993 and 2021 for the Masters. So there is some drop in all sports, but I think the NBA is at the forefront of it. The difference being the NBA ratings are down and there's the spin articles coming out that saying they're, they're up, is what I find very, very interesting to see. So, that I think they're alarmed. I think there is some well, – where there is some smoke, there's fire. Um, and I'm just wondering with with where this all goes, how, how do you see all that?
1: Well, first of all, what does the Strauss character get off fucking telling the truth for? What is he, Jim Carrey and like fucking pants on fire? I mean <laughs> – He gets you know.
0: a lot of heat, pro, a, lot, a lot of heat that goes from the spoon that feeds you, you're hating on that, to – you know, there's some some other takes around because he's, he's noted that could it be social justice, could it be this, could it be that, and he hasn't pinned it down on one thing, and then people have labeled him with, you know, the usual labels, so he gets a lot of hate for these articles.
1: First of all, th- those fucks still owe me like two for one. I got it on Christmas two years ago. They still haven't fucking paid it. So, you know, I, if I'm going to pay this 60 bucks a year hundred uh, full retail, I don't want anybody telling me the fucking truth, you know? I want people just, just, just go with the fucking lies. No, seriously. Like I don't know. I, I'm not. A, I'm not really expert with these ratings things. The one thing that's weird to me, Bogues, is, and it's good for the league. Like, fuck, it's good for the league, right, financially. But like all these numbers are coming out that the viewership's down, yet these fucking TV contracts are going through the roof. Like I've heard stories about their next deal that are about to sign that these teams are going to get like an average of eighty plus million a year. That it's gonna run all the way up to about a hundred million a year, you know, when the deal's over. Now, I, I, that's not a hundred percent, but like, if these viewerships are going down like this, regardless if you're lying or not, the bottom line—they're being counted somewhere, and they're saying, okay, this is what we could afford. Like, but these TV, these streaming deals and TV contracts are fucking continuing to rise up, then. I, like, how do you explain it? That's that's what I would want to know. Like, how how the fuck do you explain this money going up when viewership's going down? You know, that's now I, I don't know the election stuff, the social justice stuff. I'm sure there's a percentage of the country that said that said I'm done with the NBA. Depending on you know how do you feel about those things, but like it just it just boggles my mind that if the numbers are going down, why is the why is this revenue going up? The Bri keeps going up. You know, with, with, and it's driven by most of their income from this BRI in the league is by TV money and TV generated stuff. So, and that stuff keeps going up. So, I don't know. It, it's, it's a weird deal to me.
0: Yeah, continue to watch. I think there is a lot of factors, as you mentioned. I don't think it's one thing. I think there's a lot of different ones. I think the streaming thing helps the NBA and, and the money they're going to get from TV. But my, my whole thing is it is what it is, but, but, but why lie about it? That, that's what I'm head scratching myself about. Why are they going into a damage control, blatant lie? You know, like for instance, the new counting system for ratings for the NBA, for NBA games, they actually count out of home TV sets towards that viewership total, which was never counted before. So they're, they're basically, you know, they're juicing the stats, much like, you know, batters were juicing, you know, in baseball back in the day. Why do that? So that's what I'm concerned about. I think when you start to manipulate numbers and data to suit your agenda, something's going on, and that's my concern. Are those numbers that you're hearing that I hear as well? Are they real, or are they are they are they just putting these out there to try and boost up their value to other networks? I think that there is some truth to it. I think the streaming helps, but my whole thing is like, okay, you you've had a down year ratings wise. Don't lie about it. Like there's there's numerous excuses we can use. The world's almost on fire, like we talk about all the time. The only thing left for the next couple of years is a meteor to hit us because it's just been a shit show for the last two years. But my whole thing around there is just why lie about it? That, that's where I kind of have a little bit of an alarm bell.
1: Well, if I read something in the fucking media, to be honest with you, I don't care where it's from. Um, you know, if, they, if they told me today's fucking Saturday, I'm going to go home and check a fucking calendar twice. <laughs> you know, just because, like, you don't – I can't fucking believe anything they say. Oh, man. You know, it's,
0: And that goes with left, right, conservative, middle ground. Yeah.
1: They're all full – hey, oh, folks, man. It's, they're it's, all fucking full of shit. And it's so all hard. You shit.
0: have to read, like, you have to read both sides and read the middle and then sit down, make an algorithm, and then still try to figure out your own opinion from it because you just know that everyone's so skewed and has hidden agendas and politics and this and that. It's like, is there one media outlet – for our listeners out there, tweet me. Tweet me or or, or Pro, I want to know on a media outlet that has no bias at all politically, that, that literally the house down the street's on fire, it had some chemicals in it, it blew up and that's all the story says. I don't want to know that the guy was a Republican or a Democrat or this or that. Is there any of that media out there today? And then the funny thing is, I've done this before, Pro, people will send me media outlets that are clearly biased one way but they can't see the bias you know whether it's left or right it's just it's a it's an interesting time with all this stuff and it um yeah it's one of those things where you just bang your head against a brick wall i think
1: yeah i agree with that I just fucking can't believe anything all i believe it's a keebler elves that make my fucking cookies brother that's the only, <laughs> only fucking people i believe
0: faith in them an interesting one was <laughs> Dwayne Wade ownership in Utah. Now this this became a more interesting story. I put it on the run sheet, and then there was a few other things that came that came out after it, which we'll get to. But I think this was a very smart play for um, the Utah Jazz. They have Donovan Mitchell coming up to free agency in the next couple of years. I think D Wade is a perfect mentor, similar kind of. Kind of games to an extent um, with athleticism, getting in the paint, reckless at the, around the basket at a young age. Um, I think bringing a guy like that in, I see this as a play to keep Mitchell. Um, I think it helps have someone in his ear. It's a new ownership group. But some interesting things that I saw I saw a Stephen A. Smith, who I don't, I don't I take it with a grain of salt had Spike Lee and someone else on one of those split-screen talking head um, 15-minute spiels you have on ESPN. And there was an insinuation that racism was possibly at play as to why D-Wade didn't get ownership in the Miami Heat. And that's a pretty big um, bow to draw, I think. And I I was scratching my head around it like maybe it was because the Miami valuation is 2X of Utah Jazz and the owner didn't want to budge on a discount for a former player. Maybe it's as simple as that, but race was brought into it. Nonetheless, like like most most things, but how do you see the D Wade thing? Do you think it's a a, a play more for Mitchell and the free agency? Do you think you know what, what is the what is the chess move there from the Utah Jazz because he, he's not living there? He lives out in um, I think he's LA for a bit and then maybe even Florida these days. But um, how do you see that?
1: Yeah, you know, like like Magic Johnson. Like being in L.A. with Magic, now that's different because he played there all his career and he's a big time. It's L.A. But like have, like have I wouldn't have Magic Johnson be a GM of my AU team. You know, I just not he's just not into it like that. But one thing he can do is he can attract free agents and he can get into a room and he can talk and he can recruit. And I think that that's very I think that's very important for any ownership group. They don't give a fuck how much money you have and made in tech and, you know, what you have. They don't care about your roster sometimes. They need somebody that's going to, you need somebody who's going to recruit for you that has juice. Not just an NBA player that was a good player. Like, you know, Dwayne Wade was a great player. Hall of Famer. Has a lot of credibility with multi-generations in the NBA. And when you're trying to attract free agents and keep your players in check, having somebody like Dwayne Wade is very important to you. It's very important to have that. Again, when you're neck and neck, you know, like, look, you know, if Utah wins a championship or they're a a second round out, doesn't really matter if they're going to go neck and neck, they're still not going to beat out like L.A. Lakers, L.A. Clippers for free agents. Miami is still going to be above them just as a destination. But like if you're going to be neck and neck with, say, Denver, or like Houston, You're like you need every edge that you could have, and having Dwayne Wade, who has a shoe brand behind him, that like that that's pretty big too. Where you can give you contracts with the Li Ning brand, and uh, you know, and he, just somebody that like if you just bring him into the house or bring him into the meeting or the pitch meeting is going to be huge for your team. If I'm any team right now, I'm picking up as a great player like that that could speak. Well, in a meeting, and also has a like a reputation in their career. I think that's a great move by Utah. I, you know, I don't know any of the information about Miami, so I can't really speculate. Of course, they're going to say it's racism. What you know, it well, no does the way we are. It today. was just the.
0: It yeah. was just the. They, you know, with the current climate of having everything to do with race or sex or sexuality, it was like, oh, why isn't he in Miami? The owner must not like, you know, must not like black people. I mean, that's that's the bow that was drawn. It wasn't said point blank, but I was scratching my head, like, are you guys serious right now? Maybe Dwayne Wade has a, a ranch out in Park City. Who knows what the what the play is? Yeah, uh, maybe he had a business relationship with with the, with the current owner that just bought the team. Who knows?
1: Yeah, and it's a good play by Miami to to keep Wade in house, but. Like, as far as, like, keeping them in your in your ownership group. But I don't know what Dwayne Wade wants to do. Maybe Dwayne Wade is looking to, like, get into the front office or do something like that as well as being an owner at some point. And maybe in Miami, you got Pat Riley, who's not going anywhere. You know, they're going to have to bury him from that chair running that team. Mickey Harrison's there as the owner. He's got a son in, in play who's going to run that team when Pat steps down or leaves. So, like... Maybe there's really not a lot of room to do stuff there, where in Utah there is. Who knows? And maybe the, uh, the Utah owner is smart where it's like, yeah, I'll give you 3% of the team. But like, I don't know the evaluation. I haven't read it, but I assume Miami's probably worth, what, two and a half billion, three billion, you know, like two and a half to three billion, where, you know, if you're given 2% of that, you know, that's a lot of fucking money to be given out. Who knows? I have no idea, but. I think it's incredibly intelligent for Utah to have a transcending player like that Hall of Fame player that you could pitch to free agents. You could pitch to your own players to stay. He's very good with players. He's just not going to be a guy who's collecting a check. He'll do whatever you need him to do. He's good like that. And he's got an unbelievable name. And he's got reach with his shoe company and and, and other things that he could help you with recruitment. So I – uh yeah, I think it's
0: a great move. Well done, Utah. We both agree. I think it's a sensational move. Um, whenever you can get a Hall of Famer along for the ride, like Pro said, helps with a lot of different things, mainly recruiting. And I think this is a somewhat chess play to keep Mitchell in a Utah Jazz uniform. We'll finish with some accountability pro, LeBron James. Oh, Uh, interesting post he made um, speaking of social justice around an officer involved shooting who was involved with a video which came out after the tweet showed a, a, a lady a child, I think 15, 16, trying to stab another another person and cop laid out the clip into that girl. Unfortunately, they passed away. LeBron, before that video came out, um, had tweeted accountability with a photo of the police officer um, and then had retracted his comments, deleted the post. Some people have said it was inciting, you know, inciting uh, people to to try and hurt that police officer and and all that kind of stuff and that's the climate we're in right now I think LeBron's arguably the biggest voice in basketball so I'm definitely not one to say that he shouldn't be voicing his opinion on things I I like it whether you're right or wrong but I think he missed the mark on this one
1: yeah again I've said this a million times on the podcast I'll continue to say it I'm never going to tell somebody how to think or how to feel about something so he could feel however he wants to feel about how that whole thing went down So it's not even a question of that. What he has to understand, he's got more reach than any athlete of all time. You know, more than Jordan because Jordan never had social media and he's not on social media now. So he doesn't really have the reach in the community like this guy has. And they have to understand that, right, we'll throw numbers out there. He's got 50 million followers, right? And I would say... I'd say a good percentage of people have a level head that's on Twitter or on social media. Like they sort of like have a brain in their head. And it's just they're not gonna just do anything that they want to do. Then you got people in the middle who could be swayed. Let's just say 5% of every like athlete's followers are completely out of their fucking minds. they're like the guy on Happy Gilmore that fucking took out Happy because he <laughs> wanted to go to Sizzler and fucking Red Lobster with fucking shooter McGavin. Yeah. And they see a fucking tweet like that. 5% of 50 million is 250,000 sick motherfuckers that like, oh, uh, accountability with basically a target with this fucking cop.
0: Try again on that math, by the way, pro. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I do ca- uh, caloric intake pretty easily, so that's sort of where I'm getting it from, but-
0: You lost a zero though, 2.5 million.
1: Oh, 2.5 million. Oh, well, my fault. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, like, seriously, it takes me three hours to watch 60 minutes. I'm a dumb fuck. But so say 2.5 million sick motherfuckers. And let's say like 20% of those guys are bots. So they don't they don't count. But like, they still have a lot of people that are like, just want to make LeBron James happy. And he doesn't know. Because again, we talk about perception versus reality, right? And that's the problem with today. They talk about all the stuff that like a Trump or someone else would tweet out, and then like incites violence. And, and again, like everybody's side is totally great and the other side's the evil side. Again, instead of saying, you know what? Like if, if, if what they're doing is wrong, inciting violence, inciting all that stuff, then I, then if I do it, I'm going to call my side out. Like the NBA, somebody should have said, you know what, LeBron, that's wrong. Like that's wrong. Like, look, we support you. We understand you. We understand it's probably you didn't want to incite violence with this. But that's wrong. Because that's what accountability is. Again, tweeting out accountability isn't accountability. It's like, you know, you want accountability. Everybody wants accountability for everybody else until it's themselves doing that shit. And that's wrong. And it's just saying, look, I get where you're coming from. This is a very, like, sensitive time in the world, and in this country especially. But, like, you can't do that because now this guy, this poor bastard, if he's right, wrong, or indifferent... Is like, now you're putting them out there to a lot of sick motherfuckers that might incite some harm on this poor bastard. And it's not right. And it's not. And, you know, just, just, you know, just sort of say, you know what? I fucked up. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have said that. Whatever. But like, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't, co- I don't care if this was, I don't care if this was my best friend doing this. I would, I would talk, I would, I would say the same thing. It's just not right, uh, regardless of how you feel on any what side you land on or whatever, because both sides are fucked up. I can care less what side you're on. If you think what's right, what's wrong, you have the right to think that. But to do that, that has fucking ramifications because there's a lot of sick fucking people out there, a lot of sick fucks out
0: there. Yeah, and I think you hit on the head. I think the, the irony of this all it was very Trump. It was a very Trumpesque tweet. <laughs> um, you know, people knock Trump for for tweeting crazy shit and potentially inciting violence and inciting his his ardent supporters this was exactly the same in my opinion and 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 what what I get out of this too is the second thing is how heavily protected lebron is by the media you know it's it's okay to say that that you know you messed up and let's move on with it like pro said you know you, you made a mistake you shouldn't have done it you've deleted it um, the other thing that I found was very nice, I think that was actually LeBron tweeting from his own account for once, because the follow-up tweets to that were definitely clutch sports and his PR agency um, doing the damage control, but it was nice to actually see LeBron on his, uh, you know, actually tweeting for himself, but yeah, I, I thought it was, it was bad, it was bad taste. Um, And the fact that he deleted it pretty quickly was somewhat an apology without it being an apology. And the follow-ups to it were just a load of shit. It was just like, I'm just so passionate about this and blah, blah, blah. And it goes back to even news organizations. Let's let everything unfold first and get all our evidence before we start trying to hang someone out to dry. Um, But that's, that's where we're at in the world today. Yeah. I totally agree. We'll go on to the NBL. So, big news here was Mitch Creek. As you know, we, we discussed that he was facing some pretty big charges. We discussed whether he should have played or not Whether during the, the lead up to his hearing. Well, we had the hearing last week and he was, you know, all, all of the charges were withdrawn by police. So, pretty big news here, you know, he he was, he was you know, destroyed from pillar to post by most people, although a lot of them now deny, you know, oh no, you know, blah, 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 I wasn't going after him, we wanted to see what happened, we just thought it was not right that he played, and that's a separate argument, but there were a lot of people that um, went after him pretty hard, and, and now he's been… You know, it's been all withdrawn. Now you've got the same people saying, well, maybe the the the, the lady was pressured into withdrawing your charges, blah, 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 maybe he paid her off, which in the in Australia, that has nothing to do with the charge generally. once you've once you've um you know put in your your report to police and they they investigate a charge or potential charges, it's not like the US where you can settle civilly and then put it aside um, once the police have a hold of it your your payment towards someone has no bearing. So, those people now are still kind of, you know, saying guilty to a proven innocent because he technically didn't go to court, which is interesting. But I think it's good news for Mitch Creek. He can put this behind him. The Southeast Melbourne Phoenix have had probably a bad couple of weeks with with losses. But just um, an interesting one to see that the police, after their four months of investigating, had nothing to, to charge on and had to move on from it. So, good news from there. Another one in the NBL um, which I'll get you to weigh in on. Kai, Kai Soto, Filipino kid, seven one, has signed with Adelaide. You've had some dealings with him. Um, give us a breakdown of his game and what fans can look out for.
1: <laughs> okay, so I, I worked with uh, Nike doing the Nike All Asia Camp, where they bring in some of the top players in Asia, young kids, high school kids, aged kids from Asia as well as um, you know Australia, New Zealand. So. Um, got a chance to work with the young kid for at least a, a summer, if not two. He's athletic. He's really skilled. He's got some really good, you know, good feet, good skill, you know, good skill set for offense. He's one of those guys who looks great in workouts, and, and depending on the competition, he's very good. Doesn't have the quickest of feet physically. He needs to get a lot stronger, but like I, I worry about his foot speed. <laughs> I'm gonna throw out a guy like a Mo Bamba type, a guy who can shoot, skill Bamba. Yeah. Hey. By the way, I took a fucking beating with this Mo Bamba thing. Every time Mo Bamba like fucking steps on the court, I hear it from about forty fucking people. By the way. And <laughs> hey, look, I'm happy for the kid. He's doing a little bit better. I not think really he about impacting 50 winning every yet.
0: Damn game though. <laughs> like.
1: Well, yeah, he gets big by fifty, but he's showing them what he can do. He can shoot, and he's good around the basket. He just can't really move like in pick and roll defense, and he's not really like he's okay right he's probably better than i said although the no bumper thing is fucking pretty funny at the time but anyway this kid i don't think he's gonna make a huge impact for your team this year if he was a two-year developmental project i think he'd be okay um he's not like i said he's not gonna take the world by storm but he's a skilled kid he's got some ability he's got to toughen up a little bit he's got to get stronger Um, but I think it'd be a good developmental project. It was weird. He was in the Ignite program in the G League and he left. I don't know why he left. I don't know why he went home, but he didn't stay long. And now he comes up in, 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 um, you know, in the NBL. So it's interesting. I think it'd be, he'll be good in small spurts. I think, um, playing against this level of competition is a little bit above him right now, but I think he'll show some flashes. I wouldn't expect him to really like take the league by storm, which actually fucking means he'll average 20 and 20 based on anything I fucking say, just bet the opposite.
0: Well, he's stuck behind some some pretty good NBL players. Isaac Humphreys, fringe NBA guy, G League guy, back in mm-hmm. Australia, was having a phenomenal season until he got hurt. He's just back from injury. Daniel Johnson, is like a club legend, guy that shoots, you know, one foot fadeaways and threes, really nice touch. So, he's playing behind those two guys. And they've got Keanu Pinder, who started to play well as well. So, I don't see a lot of minutes. You did mention he was a little bit soft, right, bro?
1: Yeah, he's, he, he needs to toughen up a little bit. This will be good for him. This is a good level. I don't think... Being in the CBA in China would do him well. I think being here, game's a little bit faster paced. Sort of the middle to end of, end of the rotation guys are better than the than the CBA uh, the CBA is. So I think it will be good for him. I think it will be good that he doesn't have to play a lot of minutes right away. You know, and they could develop him. But yeah, he's going to have to toughen up a little bit. And I think there's nothing better, you know, sort of for the him to be able to toughen up than going against the players he'll have to go against in the NBL.
0: And one good thing it's done for Adelaide in the league is his Filipino following has... Jumped the 36ers account by th- tens of tens of thousands. So he does have a huge following. The Philippines love their basketball. So it, it's actually not a bad thing for the league as far as a PR exercise. Uh, one of our, the Sydney Kings, Didi Lozada got caught up with the New Orleans Pelicans. So he'll be over there in the next week or two. They've got an injury uh, bug down there as well. So hopefully he gets some minutes. He was really playing well the last couple of weeks. Um, I think once he found out he was potentially going to get caught up all of a sudden, you know, he, he just started playing free and was really balling out there. So, really good kid. Um, hopefully, he does well. The NBL's had some crazy injuries too. Pro, it's, it's been a lot of um, a lot of injuries. Just I think just because of the amount of games in such a short amount of time, it's it's kind of followed the trend of the NBA. I mean, the Sydney Kings alone have lost four starters um, through injury. Um, we're basically you know rostering eight or nine guys a game now just because we've lost so many, and, and numerous other teams are, are continuing to have guys in and out of lineups from injuries so coronavirus is um not treating everyone as well as we would have thought just because it's every league in the world now is trying to just ramp up games and and trying to get their season finished before another lockdown or another another wave comes so the nbl's otherwise doing pretty well the season is still much as we anticipated and it's getting down to the pointy end so we'll we'll keep you in tune with that fact or fake news bro what do you got
1: all right boggs we talked about it earlier um, with the MVP race with, you know, there's a lot of talk about some players that sort of didn't have, um, you know, didn't have sort of didn't play a lot of games. Should there be a percentage minimum for games that you have to play, you know, for, to be considered an MVP candidate?
0: fact I think I don't know if you can set a number on it but fact that that should be part of the criteria so as I said earlier I would have Embiid kind of closer towards Jokic competing for that MVP if Embiid didn't miss 20 games you know Jokic has done it night in known it night out hasn't missed a game there has to be some sort of reward for that so I would say you know whether you can put a number or percentage on it whatever we do fact
1: yeah I agree I think just to take it just to sort of tell players, hey, look, this is what you're going to have to do. And I know we're into load management and, you know, people are trying to, like, if somebody gets hurt, God forbid, the argument will be, well, he's trying to win the MVP. You know, so there's always sort of, like, an argument fact to that. But I think that just to take the argument out of it for some of these guys, like, and Embiid, even though he's having an unbelievable year, you're going to miss 30% of your game where somebody who plays, like, I don't think there should be a sliding scale where if you play 79 games, and then somebody else plays like seventy three. Your stats are weighed heavier. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, hey, look, it's a, if it's an eighty two game season, you have to play sixty two games or sixty five games, whatever that number is. So now it's not even a like a con- it's not even a you know in a conversation. It's not even an argument. You just throw that out of there. I, I, that's what I feel. I feel as though you should probably need to be able to do that, where you sort of put a minimum on it. I think
0: sixty five is a fair number too. I think in an 82-game 80, season, I think 65 or above to be eligible is, is a fair number because it's generally- Would
1: you say 45?
0: F- no, no, 65 out of 82. I think. Oh,
1: 65, yeah.
0: That's a fair number. Just because yeah, like I, for a world, I, all NBA teams, they generally look at that. If, if you're below the 60s, you, you're probably not, unless you're LeBron or Kobe, you're not, you're not getting in there. Um, but yeah, I think 65 is a pretty fair number. It gives you, it gives you um, what, 17 games for load management and rest and all that kind of stuff.
1: I agree. All right, so we talked about the overtime elite. All right. And and there there are very few like really good developmental situations in the world for young kids to play in. But if if we're just talking about development, forget about the money. Development. Is the overtime elite a better situation for a young player rather than going to the NBL to play?
0: That's a uh, fake news. And the reason why I'd say that, obviously, I have a bias because I played in the NBL. But the, the reason why I would say that is I don't know what the overtime elite league is yet as far as development. I don't know, as we discussed earlier, what's their infrastructure? What's their incentive? Are they incentivized more towards development? Or are they incentivized more towards just playing a shitload of games? Whereas I know the NBL, um, two to three games a week max, generally two games a weekend. You've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to develop. Whether you're not playing minutes, whether you're playing 15, you're going to get your workouts in, you're going to get your individual sessions in, you're going to assess, you know, I need to be a better shooter from these spots. You're going to have time to do that because you're not just playing, you're not in that open gym kind of environment that we mentioned earlier. So, I think, um, yeah, I would say fake news as of today.
1: Yeah, I say fake news too. Just because of the coaching so good in the, in the NBL overall, they have structure to it. They have a plan as far as their development. I mean, I'm not saying every team's great at it. But the players you'd be playing against, uh, your schedule, I think it'll be a better environment, better situation. I just, I don't know how this league is going to st- be structured out. I- I'm sure with the money behind it, at least for the first year, they'll probably put some, you know, good s- infrastructure into it, you know, because they want to look good. They want to go forward. They probably want to make money in either selling the league or, you know, just trying to make money with it. But I, I just, you just can't, I just can't co-sign a league that I don't know anything about and I think that the you know the NBL has done such a good job at least in the last five or six years with developing young players that came in uh came into the infrastructure so yeah I agree fake news on and that. not
0: only that you're playing against grown men you know, you're not playing against other 16, 70 year old prep schools. You're playing against, you know, Casper Wares and Bryce Cottons and guys that have played, you know, been fringe NBA guys or, or European stars that have come back and, and you know, an up and coming talent like Josh Kitty. So it's it's no walk in the park. You're you got to come here and you're going to get a reality check for those first couple of weeks of physicality and the, and the style of play. So I think that's a, a massive positive as well.
1: Yeah. Plus, you're mirroring what a season would look like a little bit with, even though you're not traveling as far, but you got travel, you got practice. You've got, you know, different things you have to deal with, where if you stay in one city, you know, it it could be just like, you know, sending them to local trainers to work out, you know, like, you don't. I just don't know what it looks like. And I guess you have to look what it, you know, see what it looks like for the first year or two before, before you make a judgment call. But yeah, I agree with that. Last, but certainly not least with the injury to Murray and potentially to Will Botten with the hamstring that he popped last night the Nuggets will lose in the first round of the NBA playoffs.
0: That's fact. I, I think looking at their C, they're probably going to be, you know, four, five, six, seven by the looks of things. Um, and, yeah, I just don't see it. I, I mean, to be honest with you, pro, I, I don't think they were f- much further than a second-round team, even if fully healthy. That was just my opinion. I, I just don't – I think defensively, watching that game yesterday against Golden State, showed sure, they're, they're all over the place defensively. I don't know what the hell they're doing. Like, they're – you know they're rotating out of, out of some of their pick and roll and double teams was like it was one of those one of those ones where you you got two guys rotating because they don't know who's the rotator and I was like you're at game what are we at game fifty game sixty you know mm-hmm. if you haven't figured that out at this point in the season defensively now they're a phenomenal offensive team they I don't know what their numbers are like but they'd have to be top five top ten offensively with pace and everything that they're doing through Jokic I think is is great and they get a lot of easy baskets but I think to be a good playoff team if if you're not you know. Better than they are defensively. You're not going fast. Even if they were healthy, I'd probably have them as a maxing out as a second round team. I don't have them going to the conference finals again. So with those injuries, I don't think they get out of the first round.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say, and the problem too, Bogues, is they kind of play the Lakers with those two guys coming back. It was a different situation where they were playing, you know, they're playing a different team. But if you're playing the Lakers with those two guys... You know, if you play maybe Dallas, you, you, you probably have a chance to beat them, but Dallas is, you're playing well. So you don't know, like without Murray, without that second, without that second guy, it's going to be really tough. And and it's just a matchup. And then this is where you get fucked in the playoffs a lot is you could be as good as you want to be. But if you get matched up with the wrong team, you know, I just think with, if Davis and LeBron's healthy, which I bet they will be just because they'll milk it. They'll milk it the rest of the way. They're just to be good coming into the playoffs. I just think I, I don't like their second unit of the Lakers. I don't think, I, I don't think they're going to win it this year based on that. But those two guys, I mean, I, I can't see Denver really matching up as good as Jokic is without Murray, without Boton and you got to play. You gotta play those other guys coming off the second unit to try to elevate. I, I think it's gonna be really tough for Denver to win unless they go back to a bubble. They go back to a bubble, you know, they were like the fucking 86 Celtics. Oh so god, you know, last <laughs> yeah, year. Jokic. I don't see it.
0: It goes back What's to up? my theory of Jokic just not caring about clout and being out in the streets and Instagramming. The bubble was perfect for Jokic, you know. That that's the, the bubble hurts you, LeBrons of the world that want to be out there all the time. So looking at the standings. I don't think they're going to move much from four or five. I mean, they're yeah. three and a half games behind third, which is the Clippers as, as we stand today. And they're, what are they, six games ahead of Portland in seven, five and a half ahead of Dallas in six. So I think they'll be four or five, It's just going to be a matter of home court. And, and, you know, the Lakers are definitely not someone you want to face, um, even with a half-cooked LeBron and AD coming back from injury, because I don't think they'll get out of that series. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, cool. That wraps up fact and fake news. We have a few questions to get through. Mm -hmm. So, we'll start the Q&A. Hi, Pro and Bogues. Love the honest nature of the pod. I must listen every week. Question for Andrew. What was the post-game reaction of players when Will Weaver got ejected from a game versus Melbourne United in 2019, November? Outside looking in, that cost Sydney the game. From a fan perspective, that outburst at the refs is a rarity in the NBL and Australian sport, but more common in the States. Keep up the great work. Regards, David. All right, so pro, we had a game against United. Um, we were up all game. They came roaring back. There were some questionable calls that could have went either way. They all happened to go Melbourne's way. They're on the home floor, so that makes sense. And Woolweaver lost his shit. Like it, it got to the you know removing the, the the sweater and hold me back, and then he gets escorted to the tunnel and then tries to run back in again. So it was like you know, as <laughs> um as David said, it's not something we see very much in sport. It's somewhat frowned upon here. Two things, David. I, I think it was it was true emotion. I think there were some frustrations for our team and our club leading into that game of sending in clips and, and feeling like we were getting the rough end of the stick on some things. Um, and when we got feedback back from the league, as you do, yep, this is the rule, this is the rule, this is how we do that. And then in that game, it didn't happen that way. And I think it was just a build-up. So I think um, – you know, we were frustrated that we had control of that game and we lost it towards the end. We ended up going down by a few points. I don't think it cost us the game, that that particular technical foul. I think if I remember correctly, there were a bunch of other dubious calls that went both ways. We made a few mistakes. There were some intentional fouls. So there were a bunch of different things. But I'm a firm believer that there is a strategic place for ejections by coaches and technical fouls. Um, and what I mean by that is sometimes there's a play where your team's uh, not responding. They're not – the energy is bad, things are, you know, not going well. We're just like, all right, I'm gonna get myself thrown out and stick one kind of up the players. The assistant's gonna coach and it's gonna, it's gonna rattle them a bit and they're gonna have to lift. That might work. The other one is the referees are obviously, you know, you feel like you're getting the real rough end of the stick, everything's going against you, that you need to stand your ground versus the referees. You know, sometimes you need to just put your foot down and say, I'm not taking this, I'm gonna take my fine. And there's a strategic play in that to reverse calls for the rest of the game. And Popovich is notorious for it. He's been thrown out, I think, in the first four or five minutes of games before where he'll he'll lose it and then the calls will end up balancing out. Um, so, there's a strategy to it. I like it. There's a time and a place for it. Fourth quarter, two minutes left, not the time and the place to do it. Second quarter, seven minutes left, place to do it, I think. So, um, we loved it uh, whenever you've got a coach that's will do that because he got fined by the league and it was a big deal and he took a bit of heat for it. I think players, um respect levels go up for you because you're in it with them and he's willing to put you know his balls on the line, quote unquote, by saying, I'll take a fine for you guys. I'm going to get thrown out for you guys because I believe in you guys and what we're doing. And I think there's no greater respect you can get. I mean, how, how do you see the technical foul strategy ejection game, Pro?
1: <sighs> you know, both... I'm not all that competitive where I'm just going to be like showing up a guy or showing up a referee, you know, how tough I am. I think sometimes if your team's a little flat, you know, that back in the day, that was great. Like uh, players would get psyched up if a coach gets a technical or even ejected. I don't think a lot of players really give a fuck about that these days. Um, I do think that Especially if you're a mild mannered coach who doesn't don't get a lot of text. If you're gonna go and get yourself a technical foul, especially if it's a veteran official, they'll be like, All right, I have to sort of step up a little bit. If if this person's getting out of character, get me a technical for getting a technical foul. Not that I have to make up the calls, but uh there's gotta maybe there's gotta be a reason. But I think that people like taking their shirt off and fucking you know, you know, it's that fake fucking tough guy shit anyway. Because he knows his 22 people that's gonna hold him back anyway. Like that, I'm gonna fight the referee bullshit is stupid. But I think that th- that that there are times, sometimes where you got to wake wake the situation up and change it a little bit and and, and get yourself attacked. You know, make yourself hurt a little bit. But this whole thing about chasing fucking referees down, like you're a tough guy. I've seen it too many fucking times where you just shake your head and be like, come on, smart the fuck up. Who the fuck are you going to fight anyway? But I think it depends. I'm not big on like the ejection, like going after referees, but I am. Hey, look, if you got to wake a referee up, I'm definitely big on it. And if you're going to get blown out anyway and, 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 you know, you just want to get thrown out. I've seen that happen, too. So. You know I just think, I think it depends on the situation
0: yeah I think it is really situational and I think there's a time and a place for it like it's not if, if you're one of those coaches that's getting a T every week, You've probably got more of the issue. Um, but, you know, I think a fair number in a 82 game NBA season would be, I think, 10 texts for a coach is reasonable, in my opinion. Maybe one or two, maybe one or two, you pair that with one or two ejections. So in the NBL with 38 games, maybe five or six texts, maybe an ejection. I think it's a time and a place for it. And the smart coaches will use it strategically. I felt like that Will Weaver one was more, it was reactive, but at the same time, I think there was a bit of a strategy towards it. Um, as much as he probably denies it, I think there was, you know, I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to show, show, my, show my players that I'm with them and I'm going to put my foot down on the referees and put a bit of pressure on them. And Adam Ford, funnily enough, the head coach of the Sydney Kings now, who was our assistant under Will, he did a press conference about two or three weeks ago about a back and forth he had with the referees boss about the direction we got about certain things. And then we do that and we get called for it or vice versa. And he went on this big spiel, got fined $5,000, which I believe our owners paid anyway. Um, because we we liked it and uh, the, the calls did change for a week or two. So, <laughs> I mean, there is a strategy with all that. So, now, if you're coaching kids and junior sports, I highly recommend you don't get thrown out of those games. <laughs> but um, in professional sports, I think there is a play. Thanks for that one, David. Next one, quick one, mate. a lot lot of talking heads over in the States, and it's hard to gauge or gorge if any of them are actually taken seriously from this side of the pond from Australia. Do you, particularly when you're based in the US or pro, think any of them have good opinions or are they all just in it for the headline? Personally, I really like the podcast with Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosulo. Do focused on just basketball and numbers, and he also likes the mismatch with KOC and Verno seem to have a good basketball-related discussions of today's game instead of just screaming about. How player X is better than player Y in the annals of history. Cheers, that's Andrew in Officer. How do you see that one, pro, I think he definitely has a point.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think he's got a point. There are just some that I think most of them are pre-recorded in the sense that are predetermined as far as what side they're going to take. Like especially the ones that they argue, I think it's just for shtick, and most of them are just shtick, you know, oriented. I, I don't think there are a lot of them that are real and or know what they're talking about in most. And I think they're good characters. And I think that they, you know, they get paid a lot of money to be those characters. Uh, I do agree. Uh, I think Rosillo, to me, Rosillo and Simmons are the best. I, I like them there. You know, I knew, I've known Rosillo for a while. Just He he was always around the Boston area. Um, you know, he was like a, ra- he, he worked at a radio station um, in the Boston area for a, for a while before he sort of went big time. Um, I think he knows what he's talking about. I think Simmons knows what he's talking about. They're they're well versed in what they do. Uh, Zach Lowe's not bad. You know, I listen to Zach from time to time. But um, yeah, I do agree. I don't think there are many that know what the fuck they're talking about. I, I just think a lot of it shtick. A lot of it just recite numbers and bullshit. And I think uh, like they just take sides based on all right. I'll take this side this uh, today. You uh, you know, in the next segment, you take this side. You know, I think that Simmons, like Rosillo, like watches like four games a night, a day, you know, four to six games a day. Like the guys, the guy should be working for an NBA team. The guy just like, like, he just like watches game after game after game. Zach Lowe watches game after game after game. Bill Simmons, again, he studies it. He's enthralled with it. Regardless if they're right or wrong, I just think they're they're good. But I don't think there's a lot of people that know what they're talking about that do this stuff.
0: And it's a performance art. As you mentioned, Pro, I think the spot on. I think, the, you know, a lot of the good cop, bad cop shtick is orchestrated. You know, say this and then I'll say this and then we'll get a clickbait headline on, um, on Instagram or, or whatnot. And I think that, you know, when you know what you're looking for and you can see it, it, it it's even more prevalent. It's so obvious that it's, you know, the, the Skip versus Stephen A. debates, just like you just feel like, you know, headbutting a brick wall because you can just see it. But for a lot of people that, that, that don't know how that all works, you know, they, they think it's real and it's not. Um, I, I definitely side more towards the an- analytical takes or the deep dive takes of just something unique and something you're not looking for with a bit of sense of humor. That's where Bill Simmons is good because he'll- you know, he can he can drop an F-bomb here and there and be funny about certain things, and I think that's a good pod to listen to. So I think you're on the right track there, Andrew, and obviously listen to us, so um, we're doing something right. But thanks for that question. Next one, first one, I'm a big fan of the podcast, love what you and Mike do, great hearing from you, and also someone who's been around professional basketball uh, for a long time that isn't the head coach or a player, which is uncommon but needed. He put around in capitals, uh, Pro, just so you know. <laughs>
1: Okay, got it.
0: No good. Um, I thought I'd get a bit of an LOL, but fuck. Um, Finishing that off, I saw you retweet the signing of the 18-year-old Filipino K. Soto by the 36ers during the week and tag Daniel Kickett. That led me to ask you about the infamous brawl between the Boomers and the Philippines. I'd like to know where you were. When you saw it and heard about it, your initial thoughts, feelings, and actions, and anything extra you've been told by teammates was definitely a tough watch as a fan, seeing five players being outnumbered with their teammates on the bench, respecting the rules, and not being able to help their teammates. Thanks again for the work you're doing with the podcast. Jordan from Adelaide. So pro, when um, Filipino kids signed with the Adelaide 36ers, I added Daniel Kickett, who was... The infamous brawl starter from that Filipino brawl. I don't know if you, you've obviously seen highlights of it. And I just said, leave the kid alone. So just being a dickhead as usual. And they got some laughs from some people online. But, um, yeah, the brawl, I was at home on my couch. I can't remember what year that was, but I think, I think my firstborn was pretty young at that time. The wife was upstairs and I was about. You know, it was about 11 o'clock at night, I think, if I remember correctly, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I was, I was, you know, we were up. The Australian national team was, you know, the Philippines um, we were up by 30 or 40 points. And I, and I think it was the third or the fourth quarter. And I'm, you know, starting to do those long blinks and about to fall asleep. And I remember this happens. And um, I just jumped up, like, what the hell? And just kept going and going and going and going and going. So, I jumped online and it was going crazy. And it was interesting because um, it led from Chris Gording, who was flopping around a little bit, um, as Chris does from time to time got into one of their players and the guy kind of cracked him under the basket and chris half flopped half got hit and kick saw um daniel kick saw chris Gordon go down so he's obviously checked his teammate and tried to elbow the guy in the chest the guy was a small filipino guy so the chest ended up being the bottom of his chin and throat <laughs> guy went down <laughs> um and then all hell broke loose it was um it was crazy and and what was crazy about it was the fact that support staff and Filipino basketball officials in Filipino uh, basketball polos ran off their bench and were just laying out our guys. Our guys were on the far side. Uh, per FIBA rules, if you leave the bench, much like the NBA, you're disqualified. So, you know, basically our, our guys got their ass kicked for, for a good 30, 40 seconds, sort of got broken up. One of Nathan Soby got king hit by a, a Filipino official, blindsided right in the jaw, and then it kind of broke up, went back to the benches. They basically didn't have enough players to finish. I think they had four or five players. We were up by 40. The game was over. But what if, if our guys would have left the bench, we would have lost. I think we would have drawn that game or whatever it was. But I mean, I'll tell you what, if I was on that bench, it would have been really hard to hold me back to see what was going on. And um, you commend the guys being professional. But at the same time, I think when, when guys are getting stomped on the ground and chairs are flying, you probably you probably stop thinking about the basketball game. So I mean, it's easy for me to sit on my high horse now and say, I would have done this, would have done that but I'd imagine once she got real in that point I would have ran in not trying to be a hero and just throwing haymakers I would have ran in and try and get You know the team, I think Gordian was at the bottom of a pack. Someone was at the bottom of a pack getting basically stomped on. I would have just tried to run in and and grab them out back toward our bench and and whatever happens, happens after that. But it was a crazy time. I believe the follow-up from that was the players went back to, first of all, they had to camp out in their locker room for about three hours, two or three hours post-game because they were scared about leaving on the bus because there was fans waiting outside for them. So, they had to kind of just wait that out to die. Um, I think the police and security eventually ushered those fans away from the streets of the arena to get the bus out. They then bus back to their hotel. They get back there at 1 or 2 a.m. They then are like shit, like we're supposed to eat here. Everyone knows the whole of the Philippines knew where they were staying at. They then had to move hotels secretly and quietly, got to their next hotel room at 4 or 5 in the morning, and then had to get an escort to the airport. So there were some pretty big security concerns after the game, I know for a fact, but eventually they got to the airport, got escorted out, and then were happy to be on a plane to Australia. So the ramifications of that – um, I think carried on off the floor, so pretty scary times for pro when you're in a foreign country and shit like that goes down, and you kind of you kind of don't know where to go or what to do.
1: Yeah, uh, anytime I travel abroad like that, um, or just travel in general um, to another country, you, you gotta be you gotta understand that, and you gotta be you just gotta see it, and it's tough because you're in the heat and the battle of a game, and stuff happens. And you see it a lot, especially international competition. It's tough. It's, it's real dangerous because you don't look, you're not, especially if you're the foreign country and you're foreign, you know, you travel to them. It's, uh, it's because you don't know where it's coming from. And, and like you said, 30 or 40 seconds, they had, you know, they were totally outnumbered and it, and it wasn't good for them. And like you said, it's easy to be professional, say to be professional and, and, and overcome that and not, and not. F- you know, not fall victim to it. But in the heat of the battle, you know how some of these players are, they get really into it. And it's just, you know, you can't stop it sometimes. But yeah, there's got to be, it's, it's a dangerous thing because you never know what's going to happen. Like Georgetown, the, the college team, they played a like an exhibition deal in, in the summer a few years back in China. And the same thing happened, like huge brawl, huge brawl. Like, you know, it's not like you're playing in your country, in your city, in your state, And you know, you just get in a fight and they just break it up. I mean, there's a lot of people that have a lot of pride like that, that, you know, see you as sort of the, the you know, the sort of outsider and they're going to go after you. It's yeah, it's real. That's some real scary stuff, man.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. I think uh, just try to stay out of trouble overseas, but the heat of the battle does happen. But, but, you know, the scary thing, like I said, with that one was fans and support staff got involved. When it's just players, you can kind of see, okay, this guy has a jersey on. We've gotten into it. He might be swinging. But when you got people that actually have accreditations and lanyards with, with their name and id on them swinging at you it's kind of like oh, who, who can i tr- who's coming to actually help and break this up um and who's who's trying to hit me but it was a very interesting time next one hey bo's podcast is awesome we can't wait for each episode to come out in particular thanks for the josh giddy interview my 11 year old son and and i have listened to it multiple times he was named as a first reserve for his regional primary school team i think based on other guys being taller he's been given he has been going to training and sits out while they work on plays for the upcoming tournament. Obviously, secretly hoping someone gets injured so he can go. After listening to Josh, he was pretty inspired and, and has ripped in when he gets the chance. And I think the coaches are regretting leaving him out. We're currently in the gym where he has been training 6, 6 a.m. Anyways, he has two questions, Pro. So, it's an 11-year-old kid. Um, how important is it to be able to lay up and shoot with your left and right hand at that age. And number two, his coaches mainly focus on layups and and, and stuff around the basket and tell him not to shoot too much from the outside. When should he really start developing his shot? It's unlikely that he's gonna be seven foot, so why not? Thanks, guys. That's from Robin Leo. How how would you see the development at an eleven year old as far as left, left and right hand? Um, and then obviously as far as his outside shooting, where should he be starting at?
1: Yeah, I, I think that you're never too you're never too young to start trying to develop a weekend. I think You know, right hand, left hand, I think you should be spending at least, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a day working on your weak hand anyway. Layups, you know, left hand on the right side, left hand on the left side, glass, no glass, different angles, just to sort of like work on flipping it up there and and just being efficient at it. I always say that being in the paint is like being in American football where they call uh, inside the 20 the red zone. Uh, Anytime you're in the pain area, you need to be efficient at any level that you play at. So I would definitely spend at least 10 to 12 minutes a day on layups, right hand, left hand, and just different types of shots. You'll see it. As far as your shot, I think 11, 12 years old is a good, a good, you know, time to start working on shooting. Uh, There's a shooting coach I would definitely recommend uh, watching. His name is Dave Hoppler. He does a lot of, um, he's a global, you know, he's been doing it for 35 years but uh, the best shooter I've ever seen. And he's one of the best teachers at shooting I've ever seen. And he does a lot of like one hand form shooting and elbow positioning and things. I think that 11, 12 years old is perfect just to start working on at least good fundamentals techniques as far as shooting the ball. Hey, look, if your coach is saying not to shoot from the outside, that's fine. I mean, especially if they're controlling the playing time and where your son fits right now, uh, maybe stay away from that during games, but in your training sessions around the team, I think it's always good to, you know, work on your shot. It's never too, I don't think you're that, never too, ever too young for that. And I think really, even before workouts with your team, working on that one hand form shooting where you're, you know, getting your elbow in and work on your follow through and getting the ball up off your palm and things like that. So, yeah, I think layups are very important. It's a very important part of the game that you really need to be able to, 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 to do consistently. So I, I would continue to start, you know, implementing that into
0: your regular program yeah with the with the shooting stuff i think um just doing what pro said your your form shooting what he means by that is so start about a foot or two or a meter from the front of the hoop and just just shoot what a normal jump shot from far would feel like um so maybe do five swishes with your right hand you can even do your left if you want to start working on that so you make you make five each hand take a step backwards towards the free throw line, just one step, same thing, step backwards, same thing, and then work your way back closer to the basket if you want to finish off. I mean, and that's that's just to work on your form. So, that isn't you know, messing around and just flipping shots up that's actual sh- shooting form full extension snapping your wrist um, the other thing I'd say is at 11 any habits he picks up now are going to end up being habits so you want to get on that early if it's this is the time you have to elbow sticking out or the wrist isn't flicking or the guide hand's kind of wrong um, watch the video watch, watch the trainer that Pro mentioned just so you can get a, a feel I'm sure there'd be YouTube videos and whatnot maybe even you know talk to someone to find you uh, someone who's, who's pretty good with, with, with shooting and basic shooting fundamentals because, you know, take it from me and other people that have played a long time, that those bad habits that you pick up are generally done at 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And once you've got that and then you start doing the repetition of, of shooting 500 shots a day with that bad that bad routine for a year or two, it's very, very hard to reverse. So, this is a time that you're kind of in the prime at, a, at 10, 11, 12 of, of, of structuring your shot how you want it to be in, in textbook.
1: Yeah, and Dave actually has a, a book that, I, uh, that you could get from Kindle – It's called Basketball Shooting and it has video in the Kindle book where just examples and him talking and showing how to shoot for him. I'd highly recommend it. I'd recommend it to anybody working on shooting, but with what Bogue said, it's very important to get your fundamentals down now because when he becomes 17, 18, very rarely will he get better as a shooter past that age. He can make small adjustments and there are some outliers that really make big jumps. But your big jump from shooting is probably going to go from like 14 to 17. I think that's those those three or four years is when your son is going to really make the, the big, you know, the probably the biggest foundation with his shooting. And I apologize in advance if you had to listen to that podcast with me swearing with your 11-year-old son. I take full responsibility for, uh, you know, I'll buy half the book for you based on the bad stuff that he's probably going to have to hear those four or five times if you listen to that podcast.
0: Thanks for that one, Robin Leo. By the way, Pro, speaking of money, I, I believe that Facebook video you watched, the Facebook NBL game you paid for was free on Twitch. Someone alerted, alerted you to?
1: Motherfucker.
0: Yeah, so you owe me a refund. You owe me a refund for wasting my time listening to your spiel again about getting your dollar ninety nine. So how about you send me a dollar ninety nine?
1: That's five dollars more than I have in the account right now. But you know, <laughs> uh, it, it, do you, can, can I pay you with my four PayPal accounts and three credit cards?
0: Uh, we'll just take it off the pay. We're paying you for this podcast.
1: Motherfucker, twitch! God damn it! All go. right,
0: yeah. Sa- save yourself a dollar ninety nine next time. All right, story time. So, um. This is a pretty funny story. I'm not going to name names for obvious reasons. Um, So we're talking about crazy broads now, pro. Crazy, crazy ladies, the ladies um, Uh around pro sports. So a pretty crazy, interesting story. Now, like I said, I'm not going to mention timelines. I'm not going to mention who it was for obvious reasons but it was a teammate of mine who had a partner let's just say at the time we get to a particular city one night um so the way it works is you, you get to, to cities at different times we ended up getting there pretty early it was a it was a west coast city so i'll say that we get there at about i think we get there at one or two in the afternoon we had a ten, maybe a 10 a.m flight or 11 a.m, 11 a.m. flight um now all these, all these reddit dudes will probably be, already have it down to five cities but <laughs> <laughs> anyway So, I'm in my room, we're in our rooms by about 3pm, so I'm like, I'm going to have a quiet night tonight, I'm just going to stay in, I'm going to, you know, I think I had a, um, I was playing FIFA at that point a lot and sort of some room service and chill out. Anyway, we're sitting there, I order my room service, I get a ding on the email, it's from our equipment manager, it's a forwarded email from the league, hey guys, just a heads up, there's a a girl in this city that's um, extorting NBA players and professional athletes when they come to town, had basically had the name, photo, whatever, right? So, Keep in mind, bro. This is about seven thirty PM. We've been in the city for four and a half hours already. So I've gone into our team group chat uh, and just said, "We've been here for four hours. I'll bet my next paycheck that someone is already probably with this with this girl." And I was just railing the equipment manager, like, "Dude, like, you need to send that shit as soon as we land. Like, what are you thinking, right?" And he was like, "Oh man, like I just got it from the league. They just sent it to me." So anyway, the female in question ended up being with the player at that time. I'm not sure what they were doing. They were out and about. Anyway, the night comes to, to, close to an end, and um, she informs the player that, "Look, I have you know, texts that you've sent me, and I have DMs online, whatever, however they met. If you don't give me, um, I don't know what the number was, an envelope of cash before you leave for the game tomorrow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send all these via social media to your, uh, to your partner, and y- y- your heart drops." For for people being involved in things like this, and and the reason why I brought it up was it's somewhat a, a, a funny story, mainly because of the email because I I kind of accidentally caught it out and said. Someone do like we've been here four hours. It's the NBA. It's pro sports. So, like someone's already with this girl, kind of half laughing it off, being a dickhead. Well, ha- that that rang true, but then the flip side of it was that it actually happened to, to one of our guys. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is this isn't this isn't a one off. The, these kind of things happen all the time. Now you can argue the guy had a partner, shouldn't have been you know meeting other girls, whatever. That's a whole separate discussion. But these are kind of things that happen on a, on a daily basis in professional sports. And I don't believe he he paid the money. And um, yeah, I think the the the, the Email in question released everything online on her social media account, which was kind of interesting. But um, thankfully, the you know the girl didn't have a pretty big following, um, as you do. Being a, an extortionist doesn't have a great amount of followers these days on social media. Or you'd hope not. Maybe on Instagram these days, but who knows? But um, just a funny story that I had, and, and some of the some of the shit you see along the way um, on the NBA and professional sportsman circuit, and some of the the, the absolute you know shithead people you meet, um, it just leaves your head scratching, bro.
1: You know, Bogues, I don't really have a story for that because, you know, look, I mean, me and women just, you know, they go off separate ways with that, you know, because I'm one of the most cause grotesque human beings on the planet. But, you know, with NBA players, you know, those Chicago Bulls teams are pretty good in the 90s. Celtics and Lakers are pretty good in the 80s. Your, your, you know, Golden State had their little run, but women's genitalia and it is completely undefeated when it comes to NBA players. Always remember that completely undefeated
0: what's the record like million and one or something right million and zero
1: a million 1.9 billion and oh (laughs) i think the fucking the team that played the holland globetrotters had more wins the washington fucking generals had more wins than fucking nba players versus women genitalia It just that's just how it goes but that's an unbelievable story man it just you know you hear all those stories like you hear you know you hear people saying that like there are even like women who do it, try to, you know, try to do that to pro athletes, have kids and train their kids how to do it. It's 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 a fucking, you know, you think that like you think there's some ruthless people out there, you know, people who try to scam professional athletes on a daily basis. And let's be honest, like who's who, who not better than attractive females to do that? You know, where you know. put You know most players are gonna. You know sort of let them into their circle, and it's a, it's a slippery slope, my man. I'm glad I'm a grotesque motherfucker and one of the ugliest people on the planet, so I never have to deal with that shit. So
0: I've been pretty lucky. I've never had anything to to those extents, but the reason. Why people out there are probably thinking, well, why haven't I heard about this is, well, number one, you're not going to hear about it because players are are heavily embarrassed by it. It's a very, very embarrassing thing to happen to you. And and whether that's a bad business dealing, whether that's a female, whatever it is, and and, and the problem with that is guys don't – guys won't talk about it. Um, not only publicly, but even within the league, they won't to their teammates because they're embarrassed about it. And so the problem is, someone else is eventually going <laughs> to run into that same girl, that same business partner, or whatever. So that's the problem within professional sports: is there's a level of embarrassment where you, you know, I got I got taken for a ride. This chick. You know, took half my shit. She, I had to pay XYZ. They don't want to tell their teammates. And then it ends up being pretty cyclical. And it's a, it's, it's a genius business to an extent because they know there's just such a level of embarrassment and shame that they're not going to go to the media and tell anyone and they can continue to go on with what they're doing. But just a a somewhat interesting, um, play on, on the NBA. And I'll get onto the, onto those stories further down the track with other podcasts, but I've I've seen some absolute crazy shit and that was just one that came to mind. But um, that is all we have time for at Rogue Bogues on all your social media platforms um, or all the podcast platforms will be live. And at Hoop Consultants for some unique basketball analysis from uh, Mike Procopio.
1: Appreciate everybody, man. Hey, Bogues, thanks for uh, not firing me. I could have – I 1,000% thought you just didn't have it on last week because you were interviewing other people, so – I appreciate oh, you've been doing uh, other pods four or?
0: months. The word on the street is you've been doing other pods, so I'm I'm kind of getting nervous.
1: Damn dick, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I was tired of your shit, you know, so I wanted, I wanted to fire first. So no, you it's anywhere. always good to you, fire
0: first. You can't swear on those other pods, though. That's a problem.
1: No, nobody's going to deal with my shit. Plus, you know, I'm not going to pass a physical with any other, uh, other, <laughs> other fucking you know, outfit, so... You know, obviously you're picking from the bottom of the fucking barrel. So I got you, buddy. I'm here. I'm here until you tell me otherwise.
0: All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thank you.